0: Hello and welcome back to this edition of Devils in the Details presented by WSU Sports where this week we have a very special guest from NHL.com, senior writer Sean Rourke. I'm your host today, Jonathan Haidt, joined alongside by Ryan Henry. So Sean, before we get things started, I just want to ask you, how are you doing? And thank you again for coming on our show.
1: It's my pleasure. I'm doing great. I'm happy to join you guys. I always love coming on SOU. Uh, I've done a guest DJ spot there before. Big metalhead. So that was one of the highlights of my career. And uh happy to join you guys. Uh talk a little bit of uh hockey here.
0: Love to hear that you're a metalhead, and we'll be asking you about some of your music choices uh later on in the show. But uh first question for you, um, before we even talk about the devils, obviously I know it's is a devils podcast. I just want to ask you about um your career in sports media and hockey and how you got to this position at NHL.com. So just take us through or walk us through, pardon me, your experiences in hockey and sports media and how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure, I'll give you the cliff note version really quick and dirty. Uh, I went to Syracuse for broadcast journalism. I'm from uh, Rhode Island originally. They got a hold of my accent. They told me sports uh, broadcast journalism wasn't for me. So you guys are lucky because you've survived until senior year. I washed out in freshman year, mm-hmm. and I went into uh, print journalism. And uh, I moved to New Jersey right after I graduated college to work at the uh, North Jersey Herald and News in Lyndhurst. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not in Lynnhurst, in Passaic County, in in, in uh, Clifton, and, and uh, I was right on the Clifton-Passaic border. And I started there as an editorial assistant doing obituaries of all things. You had to do obituaries to uh, get any kind of job. You had to prove that you could call people up and interview them and, and get all the facts straight and everything like that. I went from that to local sports covering high school football, basketball, all of those things. And then in 1994, our hockey writer quit. Nobody on the staff wanted to do it, so I did it, and I was the lead football writer at the time, and they told me I couldn't do it because football was more important, high school football, and it was, and uh, I did both. Um So, and that was, uh, I covered the Devils and the Rangers, and that was the year they played in the Eastern Conference Final, one of the most epic playoff series I've ever seen, and then the Rangers went on to win the Stanley Cup for the first time since 1940, Um, and then the next year the Devils won the Cup, so I thought that was going to be pretty easy, and I was going to do that every year, and uh, that did not happen, and then in... 1998, I went to foxsports.com, which was just a the startup then when uh, Rupert Murdoch was trying to take on ESPN um, and work there for two years. And then I started at the NHL in 2000, and I've been there ever since.
2: You got into, you know, actually, you're covering the Rangers and Devils earlier on, and you're at NHL now. So is there a particular, you know, what or who made you fall in love with hockey, or was it just covering the sport in general that made you learn to love it?
1: No. Uh... I played my whole life. I, I, I Growing up in Rhode Island, hockey is one of the bigger sports there. Um, I learned to love it from my dad. My dad was a huge hockey fan and, uh, you know, as a kid as an as an older gentleman now into my 50s uh there was no 97 million channels there was no streaming there was no cable package there were five channels on the tv you had to get up and actually change the channel so um watching the bruins on wspk channel 38 uh you know with my dad and and as a kid like that was that was our time together that was when we could talk and and you know spend some time together and then him taking me to 5am practices and, and everything else that went on um, was kind of the, where that love affair started. I, I didn't know that I would cover hockey when I, when I got older, I didn't know that I would cover sports when I got older. I, I wasn't even sure the newspaper business was for me. I love telling stories and I wanted to do it. It was, it was difficult at first, but uh, you know, I've covered every sport under the sun here. I, I was the uh mls writer for several years between fox sports and and the newspaper business um i love that i still go to probably 15 red bull games a year um you know with my son who's a a pretty accomplished soccer player himself and um you know i I, but i've always hockey has always been kind of that conduit for me and my dad for our whole lives you know we go to minor league games uh, or did when i was home um you know those are the phone calls that we, we always have or, you know, what's happening in the NHL and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of where, where the love affair for me started.
0: Oh, that's awesome to hear that. You, you had to do that uh, specific experience. And my next question to you is, so obviously we've been talking a lot lately. Uh, you just came back from Carolina for, for the stadium series. Um, i mean, even, in my time with the NHL last summer, I remember everyone was going to all the different events every year. Obviously there's Stanley cup all-star weekend uh, NHL draft so obviously you've been to quite a few throughout your experiences at the NHL are there any ones that stick out to that you still remember um as, as some of your all-time favorites maybe it was interaction with players or just the event themselves so what are some of your favorites
1: oh my god there's 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 so many um and most of it's uh, I I guess traveling and just seeing places again you know I came from a really small town in New England and is very parochial. I didn't think I would ever see any of the world. When I came to New Jersey, I was like, wow, I've really hit the big time. Um, and, you know, in, in 25 years of covering the NHL, I, I, I've seen the entire world. I My first year at the NHL, I went to um, Japan of all places. The Nashville Predators and the Pittsburgh Penguins played in outside of Tokyo at this place called the Saitama Super Arena which they had built for the World Cup in a couple of years and it was completely adjustable to how big they made it and they put an ice sheet down and the Penguins and the Predators played two games there um it it was unbelievable um You know, and, and then obviously my first Stanley cup final, it was, uh, you know, going to Vancouver for game six and, and, and that whole scene there. And then the parade in in New York city, um, going to Joe Lewis arena for the first time to see the devils and the 95 Stanley cup, you know, those buildings that aren't there anymore. The Boston garden, the, the, the odd in Buffalo, I was lucky enough to be at the odd when Marty Brodeur and the devils played the four overtime game against Dominic Hoshik. I was still in the newspaper business. Then there was no internet and we missed all our deadlines. And we actually got to put our feet up and eat popcorn and watch the end of that game without having to worry about working. Um, so, um, you know, and then again, like I said, there's been so many great experiences. In in 2011, the Bruins uh, went abroad and they went to Belfast, Ireland, for six days, and they played an all-star team from the the Premier League there in England. And then they went to the Czech Republic and played the Coyotes. and And during that trip, the Coyotes went to Latvia. So if you had ever told me that I was going to go to belfast the czech Republic, and latvia in a nine-day trip i would have been like you're crazy but that's exactly um what happened and i saw hockey in all three of those markets and, and each of them was unique and each of them was crazy um so you know it, it, it it's it's been that kind of stuff even this year i was lucky enough to go to tapper or finland um to cover the columbus blue jackets against the colorado avalanche and that's patrick liney's hometown um and to see him interact with the people in his town, to go to the rink he played at when he was a little kid, the outdoor rink, um, to visit the hospital uh, with him and, and... and a a couple of the other fins and see how happy he made all those kids like those are to me those are the really special things sometimes I don't even remember the games if you ask me what happened in those games I'd have trouble telling you I do remember Ranton and scored a hat trick and they started singing his name in the third period but I don't think I could tell you the score from either game but those are the things that I kind of remember
2: those um, seem like some amazing opportunities me just being able to cover NHL abroad and just all those international series and even those Stanley Cups but what were some f- focusing on your time at NHL.com? What was what are what are some things you have learned? You took right away, or what are you? What is the big takeaway you've had from working at the highest level of hockey? Whether that is from like a journalistic standpoint, a business standpoint, what, what was what's the biggest takeaway you've gotten from your time working at NHL.com? Or,
1: uh, that's a great question. I I I think it's twofold, right? I I think it's. The one thing I've learned is it's no different than covering high school. Um, you know, people try and make it into this big thing, and it is like it's the pinnacle of the sport. And I'm so grateful to to have had a part in it. But the the mechanics are the same, right? as covering college. When I was at when I was at uh, the Herald and News, I covered the uh and jack i covered some Seton hall but i covered a lot of montclair state and william patterson um football and baseball and, and you know it, it the process is the same right the stakes are higher but the 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 things that you do the things that you try and accomplish they remain the same and, and you know it, it takes a little bit not to be starstruck not to be um in awe of your surroundings um you know when i started the people that i was covering were people that i watched on tv people that were my idols um and you know so it was very hard in the beginning to kind of separate that and be like this is my job and then now it's much easier because i've done it for so long I, I you know and i and i don't have that same relationship with the sport that i did as a kid so they're just people to me now they're not these icons that that i that i grew up with um and, and then the other thing is just the speed of of innovation right like we we live in this world where i don't think we realize how far we've come like i was just telling you when i was a kid there were five stations on my tv now i watch games on my phone right like when i started at the nhl in 2000 we updated the site once a day i wrote two stories a week now we update the story i mean we update the site 300 times a day um and as a staff we probably write 25 to 30 stories a day so um the the rapidity if that's a word of change is just it's mind-boggling and when you're living in it you don't recognize it like the skills that i have now you know between social media and content management systems and, and all those things video editing um podcasting uh, i didn't have any of those when i started in it so it's been a continual growth and and at a at a rate that you don't even realize like as i sit here and try and tell you now and i and i remember back to the very beginnings of when i started at the nhl it's almost unrecognizable but it in another way it feels like it hasn't changed at all
0: that's yeah, awesome to hear how you've been able to see the business evolve over time and like you say going from just a few stories a week to being able to watch games on your phone and the way we update news today has certainly changed um, and just turning our attention now to the devils obviously this is a new jersey devils podcast as of the recording of this episode, the Devils have a chance to clinch a playoff spot tonight um, against the Buffalo Sabres on the road. Um, but before we even talk about the current team, I just want to ask you, you mentioned the, the 94 Devils Rangers uh, spectacle, obviously that was back then. Um, and, but just I want to hear all throughout your years covering the Devils and um, any experience you've had with the Devils, just can you share some of those Were there certain players that you still um, find that, that, you, that, you, that you love to watch, that you love to cover? Um, maybe, maybe they were nice guys in real life um and maybe even some coaches as well that you uh, you always remember throughout your time in the NHL.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean th- that 94 team was really special. 95 team both the 94 and 95 teams were really special because i was so young um and and so new to the beat and so new new to professional sports i had only really covered high school sports so i was a little i was a lost and and like i said intimidated and trying to find my way on a what ended up being a really big stage but so were the devils um you know they were a young team that was trying to find its way um so there was kind of that parallel jacques Lemaire was the coach and he was he was fantastic I learned more covering Jacques Lemaire in the couple of years that I covered him than I and than I've ever learned it was like a PhD class in in hockey um anytime you had a question if if you were at all interested like in, in what was happening like occasionally i'd ask him a question about a drill in practice like what he was trying to accomplish and and why he was doing it he would literally sit after practice on a whiteboard and and draw things up on the board and explain you know why he did that where it translates into the game or if you had a question the next day at practice about something that happened in a game he would take the time to kind of explain it to you so um I'm forever grateful to Jacques um, for what he taught me. I thought I knew a lot about hockey. I think we all do. I think we all think we're experts. And then you get around a guy who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame who's won the Stanley Cup 11 times and you you realize that you you don't really know anything. Um, So he taught me so much. And then the other thing you know, with with those teams is my thought process going into it was that I was new and I was going to do it for a while so I should associate with the newer players it was it was a better opportunity they weren't as in demand um and 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 everything else and 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 the access was much different you could spend 20-25 minutes in a room after practice you could sit down everybody was in the room they they weren't away you know the the access now is much more limited and controlled than it was then so um that team had so many really good young players billy Guerin was on that team uh bobby holy uh Brian Ralston, um, Tommy Abilene, all those guys and they were really great to me. I, I spent a lot of time just sitting in the corner w- with some of those guys, um, you know, BS and not even reporting, just like getting my face out there and letting them know who I was and um, you know and and now so many of those guys, have, have moved on right in our, our part of management now billy Garen was in town last week um you know with with the minnesota wild he's their gm now which which is hard to believe brian ralston's kid just got signed by the chicago blackhawks um which makes me feel really old ken danico's been with the devils forever right like so there were so many guys on that team and so many characters again the, the game was just different than like players were allowed to have a little bit of character they weren't being called out on social media and everything else like you think of some of those players so you know stefan riche was stefan riche was one of the most skilled players i've ever seen and he doesn't get any credit for it you know he 40 goals was nothing for that guy um and, and you know he had a personality to match bernie nichols was on a couple of those teams uh claude the was one of the best competitors i've ever seen and he could make people insane um like nobody today can like you talk about pests today they they don't compare to what Claude Lemieux could do um in in his heyday, so um it, it was it was great to cover and and then you know that that ninety four Stanley Cup was just magical because nobody expected the devils to win, nobody and you know they won in four games, which was shocking um and that that Detroit team was an all world team when you think about the the players that were on it um and and probably the one play I'll, I'll never forget was being in Joe Lewis for game two um, and the Scott Niedermeyer end-to-end rush to score the goal, um, one of the greatest plays I've ever seen. And, and the place went silent. It went silent twice while we were at the Joe for those first two games. That was one. And when, when Scott Stevens hit Slava Kozlov um, and virtually knocked him out and then stood by his bench and, and the Red Wings started to – chirp him a little bit saying that he was you know he was going to get it and he kind of bat in his eyes not in a good way like um and, and then he tapped his shoulder You could go on youtube and watch it it's unbelievable. He tapped his shoulder and he basically looked at the bench and said you're next and kind of set a really physical tone in, in a in a game that was much more physical than it is today um probably too physical um at that point but really kind of set the tone for that team and sent a message to the devils that you know they weren't going to take any crap from this veteran team like and i still remember those things so uh it, it was a great opportunity and it, they're they're great memories
2: i mean those are some great stars the coach jock and then obviously the 1994 team but i want to focus on this team obviously you've mentioned how great those 94 those 95 teams were, and then they won it a couple more times in the early 2000s and you're looking at this iteration of the devils with hughes Meyer, Brad, Hamilton, Heesher. Where does this team obviously we still have a whole entire playoff run to see, but just looking at the town perspective, how does this ta- how's the talent of this team stack up to previous iterations of those cup contending teams?
1: I you know, I think it's getting there. Um when you look at that ninety-four team, you know, they needed to lose to the to the Rangers in and, and in heartbreaking fashion, right? In game seven and overtime. Um to win in 95, I, I strongly believe that. Like, I think the heartbreak of 94 really taught them the last lesson that they needed to learn um, about how difficult it is to win. And they had some really veteran players on on that team. You know, like I mentioned Scott Stevens. They had an all-world goaltender in Marty Brodeur. Um their defense was stacked between Stevens and Niedemeyer and Danico and Tommy Abilene, who's so to me, so underrated. Um, but, and, and then they had depth up front and I think the devils have that now. I think they have that depth up front and they have obviously superstars. And look, Jack Hughes is one of the most exciting players I've seen in a long time. I, I, he's one of the players in this league. I love watching and I'm so happy he's in my backyard and I can go see him live whenever I want. Um, and they have other pieces uh, you know I, I i'm not sure they're there yet and then, again, you, you look at this year and you look at a team like Boston and you're like, I, I don't even know if it matters if they're there yet. Um, obviously, anything can happen in the playoffs. You can go ask the Tampa Bay Lightning about playing the Colorado – I mean, the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets a couple of years ago in a very similar situation. But it seems to me that, the, that with the goaltending Boston has um, and the veteran core they have, it's going to be really hard to beat that team. So um, I, I think the Devils are getting there. They may be more exciting than that 94 team, but I don't know if that's a good thing, right? I think they need to figure out how to clamp things down a little bit. When you get to the playoffs, that wide open style that the devils play and, and that is so entertaining to watch, um, comes a little bit of a liability. You start playing the same team night after night and you play a team like the Rangers who who go four deep, on um, you know, the blue line. Now you can start line matching and you can start figuring things out, um, and the margins become so much thinner. Um, so I, I I would like to see the devils be able to clamp down a little bit more before I I say they're, they're one of the elite teams in the league, but clearly they're going to be the third team in the league to, to clinch a playoff berth. So, um, you know, there, there's light after a very long, very dark tunnel, um, in, in in the Meadowlands. I I'm in the Meadowlands and at the Prudential center, you know, I, I went to a game a couple of weeks ago, um, And they, they won in the last minute. I can't remember who they played. Um, and we were walking out and the building was full and people were going crazy. And and it had been so long since I had seen that. And, you know, me and my son were walking out and I said, this is what the devils used to be like every year in the mid nineties. Um, the building was full. People were excited and that's back. And that's awesome. Like, and I think this generation of fans to experience that um, is going to be fantastic. And it's not going to be a one and done. like the foundation's there, and there's more in Utica coming. So um you know, they have a couple of holes to fill. They have some cap space to do it with. and uh, I, I, I think their window is just starting to open,
0: yeah, I agree with hundred percent what what you said about the devils. and me and Ryan also we last year, we went to so many games because they were cheap. The team wasn't that good. I know it's been like that way the last couple of years, but then you look at this year's team, I mean, you said the foundation is there. Obviously, a lot more expensive to go to games now if you're going to go as a fan, just because the, t- the team has been playing so well. They had the huge you know, winning streaks this year. Um, definitely exciting to see. But my last question to you about hockey um, before we talk about maybe some Red Bulls and, and some metal uh, in just a second. Um, so I'm glad we have you on this week because obviously the World Baseball Classic just happened. Connor McDavid spoke to the media this week. He talked about and kind of voiced his displeasure how obviously the World Cup of Hockey hasn't been back in a couple of years. And we talk about how sports like hockey and baseball are, you know, arguably below basketball and football. I mean, it's not even arguably we know in terms of popularity in the U.S. That's kind of how it is. And we're thinking of ways how hockey and baseball can continue, continue to grow. And we feel like with baseball, um, having Otani and Trout last at bat, you know, Everyone in the whole world was watching it. You know, I, th- I think baseball's numbers going to be a little bit better this year because a lot of these superstars were exposed. So I just want to hear from you from the hockey side. Um, what do you think that going forward, hockey needs to do to become um, even more relevant in, in terms of the big four sports? And do you think it's a World Cup of Hockey type scenario where they need, obviously need to bring that back um, as soon as they can so that these stars can be marketed throughout the rest of the world? Or, or Are there any some uh, other ways as well?
1: Yeah, look, I, 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 look, best on best uh, hockey, best on best anything is awesome, right? I've been lucky enough to cover three Olympics. I was at the Vancouver Olympics for the golden Gold, Sidney Crosby, right? It's one of the most iconic moments in hockey. Um, they're great, and and so was the World Cup of Hockey. I, I did, uh, I did the World Cup of Hockey when the U.S. beat Canada, right? And it was unbelievable. I mean, that launched a whole generation of players. We talked about Billy Guerin earlier, like that was the Billy Garen, uh. To chuck, Keith to chuck um mike richter that was their world cup they had grown up on the 1980 olympic team right and then they did it and that launched the next generation right the parisies and 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 the suitors and all those players who came behind lived off of that mid '90s World Cup win, right? So, and, and then you had the one in 2016 in Toronto um, with Team North America and Team Europe, which was, you know, a, a jolt. Those things are going to happen. There's a business to it, right? And the, the players are trying to figure that out, and the leagues trying to figure that out. Uh, you know, I think they've done a good job of going abroad and marketing players, right? And and putting huge players in in European markets where where they fit. Um and that and and also you know weekend games in the afternoon with with teams that have a lot of Europeans that are prime time in Europe so you know there's a lot of thought that goes into it I I think the game is growing in ways that that we. You know, never really expected or understood. I think social media is a huge part of it. I think the skill, right? The the the, the video game aspect of it, right? Like a uh, Trevor Zegers, um, to see the things that he does couldn't happen 10 years ago um, for a variety of reasons. The skill wasn't there. The culture wasn't there. Um, you know, there were so many things that weren't there. And now that's all happening and and I think the growth is going to come on social media it's going to come on word of mouth it's going to it's going to come through all those things and I I think anything you can do to to amplify that the outdoor games right uh, is a huge part of that people think they've outgrown their their worthiness and I was just as you mentioned I was just in Carolina and I was also at Fenway for New Year's um they haven't outgrown themselves they're like carnivals they're like hockey carnivals in the in the cities they're in um the atmosphere is absolutely crazy I I haven't seen anything like um Carolina um when we went it was just insane and then I put on the Carolina Rangers game uh last night and they were killing a five on three and that place was going absolutely bananas um and, and you know I was there for two cup finals and it's one of the loudest buildings I've ever been in um so you know like I said I think the game grows exponentially in ways that we don't recognize as it's happening um and i actually think that you know having covered N- the nhl for over 20 years now i i think it's in in close to the best place it's been since that mid-90s when new york and and new jersey were the kings of the hockey world look when your major markets are are huge your sports going to be huge, right? So when Toronto's good, when New York's good, when Montreal's good, um, when Chicago's good, those those are the times that you're really going to make hay as a sport. Um, you know, baseball's the same way, football's the same way. Um, so I I think it's there, and I think it's just going to continue to grow with with the moves that we're making into all these non traditional spaces.
2: You mentioned the skill and some of the abilities of these players today. You mentioned Trevor Zegers, what he's been able to do. I mean, you look over New Jersey, obviously has Jack Hughes, obviously McDavid's been on an absolute historic tear recently. And I think just having some of those more matchups you don't traditionally see in an NHL setting, I think would only add and grow to the game, but shifting away to some non-hockey questions. You mentioned earlier that you were a Red Bulls fan. We have, we're starting the opportunity of actually also covering the New York Red Bulls for WSOU and you mentioned how much of that's a pastime for you and your son. Can you talk about what you've recently seen as the evolution of the MLS over the past you 10-15 know, years and how it's kind of grown and gained traction domestically and also just soccer as a whole or football as a whole in the US?
1: Yeah, well I'm not a snob. I'll call it soccer. We don't have to call it football. Um, but uh, look, it's a hugely different thing i was lucky enough to cover the mls from the very beginning i covered the first metro stars game you know with with roberto donadone and and you know all of those guys that played and and the mls model back in the day was let's bring all these stars over that are at the end of their careers and that's how you're going to get people in the building all people want to see people in new york want to see donadone people in in chicago want to see a polish superstar you know whatever it was um you know, let's bring these aging stars over, and that's what'll sell the game. Um, and the American game, the American players weren't caught up. Like I can remember watching that first year, and Roberto Donadone would make passes, and, and people would be like, "What is he doing?" There's nobody there, and they they thought he was wrong. And I'm like, "Well, nobody understands how he plays. Like he's throwing the ball into an open area, and his his wing back is." You know doing something else and he says so um you know there there was just a, a dissonance between the american game and where it was and, and the international game and where it was um and i think that's changed right i i, I you look at the u.s national team now and, and you know it, it's night and day from what it was like there's competition it's, it's not the best 20 guys you know it's not the 20 Americans anymore that's what it was in the World Cup like let's go find 20 Americans to play um, and some of them were really good now it's you know the pool is huge and there's choices to be made um, and they're developing players right there's so many teams in this league you look at the Philadelphia Union they're all homegrown right I mean they have their domestic players but they, they've grown everything out of their academy um, you know they're a young team they, they, they they win year after year. Nobody's doing it by bringing in the David Beckhams anymore. Um, you know, you can do that to finish off your team, but if you're not going to build your team um, through your academy and through really smart young signings and, and all of that stuff, you, you're not going to compete. So um, I, I think it's changed, and I think the new TV deal they have, right, the MLS uh, on on Apple deal um, is is going to change it even more It, it just in the fact that you know the investment that they're making that apple's making to put into mls it's it's not a secondary thing for them It, it it's their one sports package i mean they have a couple of uh baseball games they have that friday package uh, for mlb but their their first foray into sports is going to be the mls and they want to show other leagues what they can do and, and kind of make that their resume. So I think they put a lot of effort into it. It shows in the production and and you know, I've really enjoyed it so far. um you know, and I, I just I think that the fans have become more discerning um and it's not like I said, it's not about, oh, let's go see this guy. It's about what's my team, right? Like, um who are they going to be and and, and the Red Bulls, You know, they've been successful for years. I mean, they have the longest playoff streak in the history of the MLS. Um, They just haven't been able to get over that hump. And, and, you know, as someone who covered them and now is more of a fan and and does it a little more casually, like that part's really frustrating, but you know that they're always going to have a really competitive team
0: for sure Sean and last question of the episode we have to ask you i know your your love for metal we are a metal station and we thank you for for tuning in throughout the years and we love that you had experienced us in the past um this yeah. is a very loaded question especially as a metal fan do you have a favorite album of all time i know that's again very loaded but just um some of your favorite band songs um in the metal world
1: favorite album that that is that's a tough one that's the, the old right desert desert island what album are you going to bring um I, I, it might be Clutch's self titled album right Uh, you know i i really love that band everything they've done has been fantastic um but that that album from front to back is is just a complete banger i don't think there's a bad song on it um and it it kind of runs the gamut of everything so you wouldn't get stale right it wouldn't be all screamers and it wouldn't be you know all ballads there's there's everything there right it's kind of a bluesy it goes all over the place. So, so that might be it, you know, it, but as far as like bands, I, I go everywhere from like, you know, the 1970s black Sabbath and, and Dio and all those bands right up to today. Like I'm still listening to new music today. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, just recently I went with bill price, my, my boss at NHL.com, you, you know, bill, I took him to his first death metal show. We went to go see, um, That's awesome. we went to go see a Monomoth moth carcass, um, uh, Paddle Decapitation and Obituary uh, in New York City. And uh, Omar and Marth is one of my favorite, favorite bands of all time and um, huge hockey guys. Uh, Johan, the lead singer, huge hockey guy, um, you know, loves all the Swedes that play. Uh, he's a Capitals fan, um, but just a t- t- tremendous hockey fan. He actually came and stopped by the office, him and him the bassist stopped by the office before the show. Um, which was pretty awesome, yeah. So, and look, the show was so good. We're gonna go again this summer, right? Uh, Bill and I. We're gonna go down to Camden. Uh, a Modern Moth playing with Ghost, right? Which is a great Bill. Ghost is another one of those bands that Sou turned me on to. Um, you know, I, I know Brian Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records. You guys play a lot of Metal Blade. A huge hockey fan, maybe a bigger hockey fan than all of us put together. Um, you know, and he's done a lot of stuff with the with the metal people in hockey and, and his bands who who like metal, like Amon Marth. In fact, Brian and I used to do a podcast together called metal misconduct that kind of combined those two worlds, the world of sports. Every, every sports guy wants to be a rock star and every rock star wants to be a sports star. So we, we got those people on and we talked not about their, their gig, about their love of the other gig and and really got some great answers so you know look i i I love music and and sou has always been there for me ever since i moved here in 1990 um you know i still remember the first day i found it and i'm like what what is this down at the bottom of the dial and all the bands that they were playing and they've exposed me to so much right bands that i fell in love with really early on when i moved here and would go see in shows all over the tri state area you know bands like danzig and life of agony and and hate breed and and, you know, Biohazard, all, all these kind of local bands that you know, E Town, Concrete, that that really grew my love of music and still does. Even with all the streaming stuff we have now, and, and you know how spoiled music fans are, I still listen to Sou in the car. I have Sirius in the car, right, and I still listen to Sou. And they expose me to new bands, and I'm like, I hear it, and then I can go online and be like, Oh, I heard this new band. I want to check out their album, and I'll go to Bandcamp, and and boom, I have the whole thing. But SOU still does that dirty work for everybody, right? They they find the bands. And they play the music that you won't hear, you know, when when you're listening to all the things you already like. So for me, what you guys do on the music end is is amazing because it it opens my eyes to bands I've never heard of before, or reminds me of bands that I used to like and and kind of let out of my rotation. And I'll go back and I'll find them. And then you know, on the sports end too, like I, I love. Sometimes just getting in the car and hearing like a baseball game or a soccer game or, or whatever, you know, you guys doing basketball, um, because it reminds me of being in college and it reminds me of the excitement of being able to do those things. And it it, it always, you know, shines through and, and the talk shows and everything else. So um, you guys have had a great experience. You're, you're really lucky. I, I really think SOU is, is, is a flagship for what college radio should be.
0: Well, Sean, thank you so much for being an avid WSU listener. And thank you so much again for being on our show today. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you about your experiences and and everything like that. So once again, just thank you.
1: Hey, you're welcome. You know what? Let's do it again in the Stanley Cup final when the Devils are there.
0: That sounds good to us. I mean, (laughs) we might even want to have you on right when the playoffs start. I know it's the beginning, what, beginning or end of April sometime in April. Yeah, so.
1: right in mid-April. Yeah, anytime I'll be I'll be going on the road for the first round. I'm looking forward to it. I go every year out west and uh it's awesome, but um anytime you guys want it, I'm happy to do it. Anybody that loves to talk hockey and music, uh, I am down with that. So, I'll always carve some time out. But uh have a great rest of the season. Uh hopefully we'll see you at the rink soon and uh keep on putting out good content, guys.
0: Sounds great. Thank you so much. Sean. On behalf of Ryan Henry, I've been Jonathan Height. This was Devils in the Details. Be sure to stay tuned to WSU Sports coverage of New Jersey Devils hockey all season long. Take care and have a great day.